Good Evans, it's a Bobcast. Welcome to episode 17. Hi, how are you going? Thanks for tuning in again. I hope you've been enjoying the previous episodes that I've been doing. My name is Bob Evans and I'm your host this evening. Um, I just want to quickly plug a few of the dates that I'm doing around the country. I recently announced my Lonesome Highways tour and I'm going to be going to a whole bunch of places. Uh, I'm going to be going to Canberra on Thursday, April 20th, Newcastle on April 21st at Lazotte's. On April 22nd, Central Coast Hardy's Bay Club. On May the 3rd, Katoomba Clarendon, Clarendon Guest House. On Friday the 5th of May, Sydney at the Camelot Lounge. On Saturday the 6th of May, Cronulla the Brass Monkey. On Sunday the 7th of May, Bulleye Heritage Hotel. On the 11th of May, Toowoomba the Spotted Cow. On the 12th of May, Bellingen. Bellingen or Bellingen? I'm not quite sure. I've never been there before. Uh, 5 Church Street. Saturday the 13th of May, Brisbane, Black Bear Lodge. Thursday the 1st of June, Rye at Baja. On the 2nd of June in Melbourne at the Croxton Front Bar. On the 3rd of June, Geelong Workers Club. On the 8th of June, Adelaide at the Grace Emily Hotel. And on the 9th of June at the Bridge Hotel in Castle, Maine. Uh, you can purchase tickets right now uh, from the website bobevans.com.au. And if you purchase tickets online through the website, you will get a free six-track EP of Bedroom Demos. Uh, songs that I've recorded at home, in my garage, that haven't made it onto a record. No one's ever heard them before. So make sure when you buy a ticket online, you follow the links and you'll get that free download. So, episode 16. My guest uh, for episode 16 is um, Senator Scott Ludlam, who uh, is the West Australian Senator uh, for the Greens Party. Uh, I went and visited him when I was over in Perth just a couple of weeks ago. Jeb and I were playing a show over there. And I went and visited him, and it was really great. I've always been a bit of a fan of Scott, and um, I wasn't, I've never met him before. This is only the second Bobcast that I've done with a guest who I've never actually met before. Um, so I wasn't quite sure sort of how to approach this. Um, beforehand, I, I was talking to my brother Brett in the hotel room saying, oh, you know, shall I bring over a six pack of beer? I wasn't quite sure, you know, I thought, oh, no, I won't seem too unprofessional. Anyway, as it happened, I turned up, and when I turned up to Scott's place, he had a six-pack of beer. So all my, uh, well, many of my fears <laughs> drifted away at that point. He is a, he's a lovely guy. He was, it was really great to chat to him, and, and I really appreciated the fact that he gave up his Sunday afternoon to chat to me. Uh, we met on the eve of the West Australian state election, which we now know the Liberal Party lost, Labor won. Uh, we also now know that the One Nation Party didn't do anywhere near as well as they were hyped up to. The Liberals and, the, and One Nation did a, a, some kind of wacky deal to uh, give preferences, and that basically blew up in both their faces. Um, at the time that Scott and I got together to chat, um, we didn't know about all that sort of stuff. I found out all sorts of interesting stuff about Scott. Like, well, I don't want to give stuff away, but uh, as it turns out, we share a little bit more in common than I first realised. Uh, as usual, you can visit the Good Evans It's a Bobcast soundtrack on Spotify, where I continue to collate the songs that my guests talk about. Um, and also the other exciting thing that I've been doing on these last, well, starting last week with Julia and moving forward is I'm actually playing the songs that people have been talking about. Now, I haven't been able to do that in the past in the, with the podcast because I was worried about playing songs of other people's. I didn't know what the copyright, I don't know, like how that stuff works, right? I thought I was going to get sued. I don't know. As it turns out, everybody else is doing it, so I'm going to do it too. So finally, there is actually music to go with these chats, which is really great because, you know, we do talk about music. Uh, we talk about a lot of stuff, me and Scott, in this little uh, conversation. He invited me around to his, to his house in Frio. Um, it was a very hot 
Perth summer afternoon. But yeah, it was really cool. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed the chat. Once again, there's a little bit of language, most of it by Scott. And for the first time ever, he probably, my guest swears more than I do. Um, but there is a little bit of language, so just be warned. I think that's all I really have to talk about. Once again, if you've been enjoying the podcast, I would love for you to rate and review it on iTunes. Um, it all helps. Let's get into it, shall we? This is episode, what did I say it was? Episode 17. Holy shit. This is episode 17 of Good Evans. It's a Bobcast. Scott Ludlam, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Um, the the credibility of my podcast has just shot up very quickly having you as a guest. So my credibility has just shot up <laughs> yeah, as well. So. <laughs> I don't know what effect this podcast will have on your on yours, but mine has definitely gone up. So <laughs> thank you, um, and also for giving me time on a Sunday. It's a long weekend here in WA where we where we are, are chatting. I guess I'm just curious to start off with, like, how does your sort of week or even your year kind of run? Because obviously you spend a bunch of time in Canberra mm. and then you're in WA. So for someone like me who has, hasn't spoken to a politician before, how does that work? How much time do you spend in Canberra? How much time at home? To um, and from? Well, this prob- this isn't just me. This would be for anybody in that line of work, I guess. It's got three different lives so there's the Canberra life which has its own dynamic and its own tempo and its own sort of social set and expectations which are basically you're trapped in Parliament House for 14 or 15 hours of the day and that's all you do Parliament is just an island you don't get to leave during the day and it's a sort of self-contained world and you just go as hard as you can while you're there and Um, so you spent that time spending the office and also in the in the Senate yeah so each of us um, has our own little office which is like a self-contained little space where you do the planning and um we tend to have a lot of meetings and stuff because a lot of people you know interesting people cycle through parliament house and so that's a really good opportunity just to meet people over there mm. but um the chamber sort of rules everything it's whatever's going on downstairs is is the priority um and those weeks can be very different depending on whether we've got a red hot bill that is the center of attention right. or whether other stuff's going on in which case we just focus on well, what's the agenda that we're bringing here? Um, what do we want to do? What kind of stuff do we want to stir up while we're here? And then just try and make as much time for meeting people as, as yeah. we can. So that's sort of the, the first domain. The second one is that um, they're meant to be a representative of WA. So uh, maybe a third or so of the year or a bit more is spent here in and around Fremantle mm. and doing WA stuff. So obviously things like Row Highway, yeah. Um, uranium mining or the transport or housing affordability sort of work that we're doing is very grounded in here. And then the third stuff, the third part really is just everything else. So it's chasing committees around the country or campaigning on portfolio stuff. So I spent a fair bit of time last year in SA because they keep trying to dump nuclear waste on them. And that's something that's a big preoccupation of mine. Yeah. Um, or just supporting other greenie type stuff around the country. So it's quite a mobile job, mm. but it's really grounded in whatever's going on here in WA. Yeah, and I, spe- I guess specifically because, you know, you're a senator that represents the largest state. Mm. Do you have to do you find yourself doing lots of travel like up to remote, yep. remote areas? Yeah, so we were in the Kimberley a lot when James Price Point was running really hot. We spent quite a bit of time in the goldfields campaigning on solar energy. Um, you know, bits and bobs of time down south on forest stuff or coal or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I'm a bit of a city nerd and I'm kind of preoccupied by city policy and, what, you know, the future of cities. And Perth's a really interesting case study. It's, mm. it's remote. 
it's been wealthy. We're just coming off the back of this kind of insane resources boom. Mm. And now people are asking questions about what next. Um, so I've spent a fair bit of time just in the city, like in the suburbs or wherever, talking about transport, housing and mm. the, you know the future of this town. Yeah, because I mean, I, I've lived in Perth for the first 30 years of my life and live in Melbourne now, but it's been interesting for the last 10 years coming back here now as a visitor. And because I'm not living here and I'm not sort of seeing the change happen gradually, I'm really noticing like each time I come back, just yeah. how much has changed. And that, that could be, you know, things like uh, just the city developments and stuff. Like I just, this morning I went down and checked out Elizabeth Key, which, you know, I think looks cool. I hate the name, but it looks cool. Um, what about the Chevron Parklands or whatever they Oh, yeah, well, that was part of, yeah, that's kind of the era, yeah. <laughs> I think so, I'm going to boycott that until they change the fucking the name. name. right. <laughs> <laughs> Chevron, yeah, because like, that's like a big American oil. Yeah, they, they've just crapped all over Barrow Island and I'm just a bit over it. I think if they change the name to something a bit local, maybe more people will go there. The motivation for those kind of companies to throw money in at artistic like because it's a festival thing right yeah i think part of it is building social license and local yeah. reputation which is fine like the more of that the better but we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that it's being done for reputational purposes yeah. not for any totally yeah um altruistic yeah yeah reasons. <laughs> uh, what about elizabeth key because i gotta say like i was i was really bummed not i was disappointed when i found out what they were calling it because it just seemed like so such a boring kind of uh, decision like surely there have been enough things named after foreign monarchs yeah right. i mean perth's like full of streets and built up of australia but perth you know it's just so much of it like yeah. and we're still doing it like yeah why? I don't, it feels like a bit of a wasted opportunity in a way not just because they gave it a daft name but like if you were there have been proposals for decades about what to do with that waterfront area yeah. and it's um you know, I think the river is wasted in a way. Like the city sort of had its back turned to it. And I mm. think the convention centre is a really interesting example of that. It's like we're just going to put this giant concrete slug on the river and then just not put any windows in. And yeah, it's bizarre. <laughs> and so Elizabeth Key, I don't know, I've, I, um, I've had a bit to do with some of the people who were part of the design and I feel like they did their best. But the impression at the moment as a public space is that it's just a huge expanse of concrete and they're going to have to work quite hard to create that critical mass of activity, I mm. suppose. It just, I don't know, I don't find it super inspiring. And also, I mean, I get nosebleeds if I ever go anywhere north of Claremont. I'm, <laughs> I'm more interested in what's happening down here in Fremantle. Call me a snob. but <laughs> What about Canberra? What, uh, you know, what, what's it like spending time in Canberra as a, as a city? You know, obviously... A, a very different uh, yeah. place to, to person for you. Um, it is. It's really different. I mean, people hang a lot of shit on Canberra, and I, I did obviously as well as a rite of passage. But the more, <laughs> more time I spend there, the more the fond of it I become. Actually, it feels like it's finding its own identity after a long period of time, mm. where it was either trying to be something else or it was mm. trying not to be anything in particular yeah. at all. And not that we have a huge social life in Canberra because we're mostly focused on being trapped in Parliament House. Yeah. Um, but it's actually, I don't know, it's got its quirks and um, it's there's some fun little districts and stuff emerging now, mm. places where it starts to feel like a real place, which mm. is nice. Yeah, because I've, I've spent a lot of time, you know, in Canberra over the years just touring and playing shows. And um, the thing that always struck me about that place was just how planned it, like, yeah. like no other city, no, no other major city that I've been to in Australia, like it's just, it just feels so orderly and planned yeah you know, to maybe adelaide i guess so they kind of set it yeah. out on a big grid and then just and then built to that i mean canberra definitely has that to it the irony is that they they um burley griffin's original plan had a lot of public transport in it and so right. the city's laid out in these sort of distributed villages which were always meant to have public transport connecting right. them and they're only getting around to that 100 years later yeah so I don't know. I like the place. It's um, It's got its own odd character. And I like when you get off the plane, you can immediately smell eucalyptus. Yeah, know? right. And and it also does four seasons very well. Yeah. Canberra yeah. does autumn better than nearly anywhere I think I've ever yeah, been. Yeah. Yeah. You've been uh, so many years there now, I guess, you know, if you didn't like the place, it would probably be really, make your job a lot harder, right? Yeah, it would. But I mean, keeping in mind that um, it's a fly in, fly out town and most yeah. of us don't, 
don't live there apart from the ACT representatives were all from somewhere else and I suppose it does have that character and locals tend to jealously guard it its sort of reputation and its social circles mm. away from the fly and fly out crew and people like me right you mentioned before row eight and I know so state election next weekend yeah Saturday do you have a lot of involvement in this what happens with in the state elections how involved are you in that I feel like we're quite involved. I'm very fond of the candidates, and so I want to see them all elected, obviously. Mm. But it's a bit second tier for us in the sense that, you know, my wage and our entitlements and whatnot are paid for by people who want us to work on federal politics and deal with those things. So it's like on weekends and evenings and stuff, we'll go out door knocking and support people, and we're also trying to highlight the work that we're doing. And some issues, there's no real boundary between state and federal, and Roe Highway is a really interesting one. It's ended up being a top-tier state election issue, but yeah. of course it's the federal government that's writing out the checks. Right. So we've been right in the thick of that, trying to knock it off, which means inevitably you find yourself in the middle of the state campaign. So for people listening, this is like a major road that they want to build and it goes through the Belia wetlands? Which yeah. Is... It's, I mean, it's a complete shit show, to be honest, but it's a piece of the... Stevenson Hepburn plan from 1955, which is a line on the map that says there's going to be a sort of a heavy freight and traffic ring road around the city, which will connect up with the Fremantle. The piece that actually connects to Fremantle was deleted, I don't know, more than a decade ago, I guess, last time state Labor was in power. And it was a, it's a piece of the sort of Tony Abbott, uh, I want to be the infrastructure prime minister act where he just started slinging a billion dollars at perth at sydney and at melbourne for freeway projects mm. they've killed the melbourne one they're in the process of knocking off uh west connects in sydney and so row highway is like this ghost project from a failed prime minister who said i just want concrete yeah uh and the barnett government picked it up and ran with it and uh, you know to their credit state labor they they faffed around and sat on the fence f- for a long time but they've actually come to the party and right. said if we win power we're going to delete it and do we have different transport priorities, which is good, and they sort of cautiously got on board with the idea of a of a new port in Coburn Sound, which would, um, you know, I don't think we should just tick it off site unseen. I think it's got to go through all the approvals processes and whatnot, mm. but it's got much better rail connectivity with mm. Qdale and the airport and stuff. Um, and I think it's kind of a more scalable freight option than just trying to cram more containers and God knows what else into yeah, Fremantle. Yeah. And in the meantime, you've got this really beautiful area in um in perth southern suburbs bisecting two lakes in one of the largest intact areas of of banksy woodland left in mm. on the swan coastal plain and they're just obliterating it yeah so it's um i spent a lot of my 20s down in that part of the world and i just adore the place yeah so because yeah i grew up in bull creek right which is and and billy wetlands is around people lake mm. right yeah so yeah i kind of grew up pretty close to that area as well i went to bull creek primary did you really? Yeah. I'm Are you a, kidding I'm a me? Southern suburbs kid. You went to Bull Creek Primary as well? Yes. Is that a scandal? <laughs> is that right? <laughs> I was thinking, I just had no idea. That's amazing. We went to the same primary school. Mm. I can't believe it. I can't believe I didn't know that. Um, <laughs> I think I left Bull Creek Primary School in 19... I was in year seven in 1989. Yeah, I reckon I got a couple of years on you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, let's talk about school. What oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I led with it. This is my fault. Go on. What was, uh, what, what was school like for you? You know, maybe, you know, primary school, but high school as well. You know, like what was, what sort of a student were you? What, what were your sort of ex- experiences going through your, your teenage years at school, which, you know, um, for many people can be, uh, can be fraught with all sorts of uh, yeah, truly. issues. Um, I enjoyed primary school. So I did a few years at Maylands Primary. I think I did three weeks in Midland and didn't fit in very well. And before that, my folks and my family, me and my little brother had been kind of moving around the world for the previous right. eight years of my life and hadn't really been in any one place for more than a year or two. So coming to Perth and, and sort of settling in was a bit of a new experience. And I loved right. primary school. And high school was fantastic. I got a really close-knit circle of friends and just kind of did our own thing. Mm. And then found uni a bit alienating, kind of right. dropped into this slightly alien world of commercial art and graphic design which wasn't really doing it for me i just wanted to stay in my little world yeah but they weren't handing out high distinctions for people who were doing that (laughs) (laughs) like like traveling around overseas and stuff so that was that to do with um your parents job or something Mm. 
Well, no, just the fact that they were gypsies. They just wanted to travel. Oh, right. So, that so where, was, what kind of places? Whereabouts did you live? I started in New Zealand and just did a lap of the planet. So sort of Burma through Central Asia, India, um, Nepal, and then um, a year or so in and around London, two years in South Africa, and then um, South Africa to Egypt, overland Europe for a little while, and then back here, and then kind of grounded here in Perth because yeah. me and my brother were of primary school age and just, I think my folks just figured it was time to stop moving in. So what, how old were you like, uh, during those years of, of uh, three, three to eight. Yeah, right, okay. How, how much of it do you remember? Of the latter stuff, a fair bit. I was forced to keep a diary strongly against my will. <laughs> now I really... Are you happy that you kept on? Have you read it? Not for a while. (laughs) Not for a little while. But it's a good way to grow up, um, having the sense of the world being round. Amazing, yeah. Different stuff. And I don't think you can do it these days. You certainly can't go through Afghanistan and places like that in quite the Mm. same way as you could in the 70s. Um, So what did your parents do? Uh, Dad's a draftsman, so he worked on mining projects and civil drafting and that kind of stuff, freeways and airports and whatnot. And um, mum's sort of artist and craftswoman yeah. maker. Yeah. Did travel? Are there any sort of tangible? When you look back at like having that experience before, you know, between the age of the three and eight, mm. are there any sort of tangible things like effect that you can look at yourself and, and see that it really... where that came from? Yeah, yeah. Well, that one of my favourite things in the world is to alight in a new city with my travel boots on and just get fucking lost and yeah, just yeah. disappear into a new place. It's yeah. beguiling. It's just wonderful. Yeah. I still really like travelling. Uh, and obviously, it's sort of this job has that built into it. Yeah. It's a lot of travel, but more domestic, obviously. Yeah. But I've still been really fortunate in some of the work that I've done. You know, the this job has taken me to places as diverse as um, Japan, Afghanistan, uh, Myanmar. I was there for the election there the year before last, and so it's very, very stimulating and fascinating in that way. It's a real, it's a really fortunate place to yeah. wound up. You went to Afghanistan. Yeah. So in 2012, <laughs> well, Parliament has this this um, defence exchange where members of the ADF will spend time in politicians' offices, and then we will go and see what they do for a living. So I was really fortunate to spend a fortnight in the UAE in Afghanistan uh, just before they packed down Tarankot in 2012, right. and. Um, you know, it was there, obviously it was very well looked after by the Australian Defence Force. So it's not like we were put at huge risk, but it was also just fascinating to be there in the late stage of Australia's participation in that war and mm. kind of see what it's like for people who are who are put into that into that place. So do we have do we still have any ground troops there? No, there's still a small contingent in Kabul, but I think they've basically Tarankot's been packed up. And now it's at risk again, obviously, because the Taliban are sort of working their way back into Uruzgan. I don't think we have people left in Kandahar, but I think there's still a small contingent in Kabul. Mm. The USA now has uh, Donald Trump as president. It does. And that obviously, you know, everyone was talking about Brexit before that happened. And, and now look, sort of looking at Australia and just before I left to come over here, I saw on the news they'd done like a news poll or whatever. And they were talking about how One Nation had like got up to like on this poll we're at like 10 percent or something uh here in wa no this was in uh, this was like a, na- a, a national poll okay. thing. well they're doing about 10 percent in wa if you believe the last um, do you believe like with those polls like how much credibility do you oh I, th- I think it's entirely possible i think even if it's half that we shouldn't write them off and dismiss them that's still a lot of people who are listening to what they've got to say so i don't we'll know in a week how well they're traveling in wa I think, in a way, the wheels are starting to come off. Yeah. Uh, it's always dangerous to make predictions, obviously, but they they cast themselves as the outsiders and the disruptors, and the mm. you know we're the ones who are going to shake up. Thank you, politics as usual. Yeah. Except yeah. they vote with Malcolm Turnbull more than ninety percent of the time. They're preferencing the Liberals here in WA. They're pro basically everything that the Liberals are for, and so I started to realise they're not. They're pretending to be disruptors. Right. They're just fucking hypocrites. Yeah. And, you know, Hanson's out in the last 48 hours saying that she's pro this attack on penalty rates for young people. Mm. Um, so that's about thought, Sunday. Yeah. It's, it, you know, it's a, this affects disproportionately young people and women yeah. um, who are in low paid, casualized jobs, working cafes, coffee shops, hospitality yeah. and the various 
other forms of industry that have been really heavily casualized. A lot of the people put themselves through uni or living out of home or whatever in a dramatically unaffordable housing market. And the only way crew survive is mm. with um, penalty rates, yeah. which means you're working shitty hours. You're yeah. working late at night or you're working on weekends or you're working on public holidays. And um, it's no surprise, obviously, that Turnbull and the rest of the Tories are trying to attack that. They've been very transparent about it. Mm. But Hanson pretending to be standing up for the battlers and then backing in Malcolm Turnbull and Tony Abbott on penalty rates, I mean, screw that. I, I, it blows my mind that she has come back with such a vengeance because I've got this really clear memory of like, it would have been about in the very late 90s and I was walking to my manager's office. He had an office in a, this building on Barrack Street. It's actually the, now the... Uh, the hotel that I'm staying in but um, he had a, an office in this building and I was just walking across Hay Street Mall and was going across the road and it was blocked off because there was a protest going up the street huh. and this was a, like a weekday and the protests were all like high school students and stuff who basically like oh, wow. nicked off <laughs> from school and they were protesting specifically against Paul and Hanson and One Nation Bless. Um, yeah and I sort of stood there and I just like <laughs> You know, my first reaction was like, oh, what's going on? I can't cross the road. And when I realized what was going on, I kind of stood back and watched it go past. And I thought, and that's when I, I sort of, the the idea, you know, kind of clicked that about the possibility of when somebody like Pauline Hanson comes along, it engages a lot of, a, a bunch of people who maybe weren't previously engaged in politics. And so yeah. in some respects, you can look at these people and think, well, there is a positive side to it because, Always. Uh, you know, a bunch of people, all these kids suddenly had a you know they wanted to express their voices and stuff um that was a long time ago now that was like almost 20 years ago i think roughly. Oh, late 90s when i think she so first, yeah yeah poked up um and now she's back and it just feels like there's a there's a climate a political climate that's in australia that's in some ways mirroring what's happening in other countries mm. and i just where the where the fuck is that gonna leave <laughs> <laughs> i mean it like because that's a pretty scary tangent that i just i i did not see coming even mm. just a few years ago it seems kind of it, it feels like it's happened kind of suddenly mm. but maybe just because in the last kind of two years you know brexit and trump and all that kind of stuff has been like all these dominoes falling pretty quickly and yeah i it feels sudden like where I where do you see that kind of going Oh, I feel like I'm not dumb enough to try and make any sort of firm prediction. <laughs> These are volatile times. And so, like, God knows where it's all going. But I think Hansen is, I think you're right, Hansen is the surface expression of the same discontent that has turned politics in the UK upside down. And obviously in the, in the US they have Trump. And Hansen here is trying to weaponize the same sort of discontent um, fortunately, without actual weapons, which is obviously one of the scarier things about US politics, yeah. where you take, you know, the working class, so to speak, and the middle class has been absolutely obliterated. The jobs are all being offshored, sent overseas, or else automated out of existence. Um, the resources industry is no longer the safe bet that it used to be here or overseas. And so people are just finding the economy has been scooped out from under their feet. And the welfare state that we just, you know, people in as fortunate position as mine assume will always be there is also being hollowed out by some of the same economic forces and so it's a race to see who can be first to take that discontent and organize it and turn it back against um the the people who are doing this stuff and i think what's so dangerous about about trump and about hansen is that the very same uh people who have done so much harm uh to sort of collective identity of our respective countries are the you know they're the very same ones who are now trying to um, mobilize this discontent so i just feel like it's partly our job to try and keep that debate reasonably grounded and try and organize not just against stuff but for for a particular agenda around collective security human security and that kind of stuff but yeah as for where it's all going a lot these i don't know may you live in interesting times <laughs> <laughs> very interesting times um i should we should just go watch the, watch the terminator again. 
<laughs> all right, well, let's talk about music because uh, this is... Because that all got a bit serious, a didn't music it? music podcast. Um, did, did you grow up in a, in a musical household? Was there, do you remember sort of music being a, a big part of your, your childhood, really your parents uh, into music or... Um, yeah, kind of, but like cassette tapes in combi vans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember listening to The Who and, oh, um, right. you know, um, that, that kind of stuff. Kenny Rogers, if I'm to be completely honest. <laughs> Please. Anything that, was, anything that you could obtain via cassette in yeah. Central Asia in the 1970s. I was right. kind of schooled in that. And were, so were you getting a lot of those like knockoff kind of, you know, one dollar, two dollar cassette tapes. Oh, I presume so. <laughs> <laughs> in markets in Africa and stuff. I yeah. don't probably. So, I mean, did you run into like you know, were you exposed to any kind of music that was would have been really unusual like, you know, non Western music? Oh yeah, travels? I guess so. Well you couldn't yeah, I can't help but be, I suppose. Um music from all over the place, African music and stuff from all over. And what about when you were in high school and stuff, what kind of Oh, just oh, just really nerdy stuff. <laughs> like, like, uh, I don't know, Battlestar Galactica soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> Completely nerdy stuff. That is very nerdy. Uh, sorry. <laughs> you can edit that out if you want. Well, what about bands and stuff? Or, you know, did you, did you go out and watch any bands or see anyone play? Um, yeah, not till a bit later. Not when I was in high school or even university. I was just too much of a geek, I think. I was just <laughs> at home doing my own thing. I can remember seeing um, Powderfinger playing a gig in North Perth before they were big, before okay. anybody knew who they were. Yeah, right. So I kind of keep that to myself. Wherever, can you remember whereabouts the venue was? Um, I can remember being very sick outside in an alleyway. But I can't remember <laughs> Exactly where we were, somewhere in North Perth. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't up in Scarborough, was it? No, no, no. It's more Not like North, North Perth or Liddell or somewhere like that. Were um, you getting blue, was we, at that age? Were you getting nosebleeds from going up to North Perth? No, no, no. That this happened was, later. That happened much later. <laughs> so no, and then fairly mainstream taste. You know, I went to see Dire Straits at. I think that was the first gig that I ever saw, and in excess. Um, wow. You know, version one. So I'm kind of old enough to remember that stuff. So was that at like Entertainment Center or like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. the old one, the old deeply yeah, yeah. unfashionable orange dome that is no longer. The uh, the bottle, wasn't they called the bottle top? Like, uh, yeah, the bottle top. The bottle top, yeah, yeah. which has now been uh, gone, de- demolished. Yeah, one of my f- first big concerts that I saw there was um, Pearl Jam, in like ninety. Oh jeez, must have been like ninety. Four ninety five or something like that. Oh, perfect. Um, which was it was really great. It was really really. It was kind of scary too because I have this memory of like the, the band called the Meanies was supporting them, another great Australian band. Um, and when they finished, when the Meanies finished, in between the bands, everybody who was because you know how they have this kind of standing section at the front of the stage, and then they have all the people mm. seated section. People just started jumping there, like, there would have been some security there but obviously nothing like there is nowadays and everyone just started jumping over and I was in amongst the crowd and I saw everybody jumping over there so I was like alright I'm, I'm going to do this too so I went to leap over the edge but I didn't sort of check out the drop before I dropped as it turns out it's about a 6 or 7 foot drop <laughs> from from the first front of the seated aisle down to the and I hit the ground and like you know really hurt my ankle and everything and and then, of course, as a consequence of everybody doing this, the uh, front, the standing area, the, you know, the, mm. the, the mosh pit uh, was like really overly crowded. It was, and, and it was as a... As a mosh pit should be. Yeah, right? yeah. But this was, it was one of those rare moments in my youth where I was like in mosh pits and actually kind of just started to get that sense of danger like it was oh, maybe i'll be crushed to death. Un- yeah exactly <laughs> just that slight nervous kind of thing like you know this this doesn't feel quite you know quite safe and so but i think i lasted like maybe the first two songs that Pearl Jam played before i just retreated out and was just like no nah, i can't at least you can say you were there i can't, <laughs> I can't i've never it. seen them live before so they were great you know i well uh, they're still going aren't they yeah, yeah. Well, they should come the fuck back to Perth. They, uh, when were they last year? Yeah, I can't remember. I it's mean, they have just, they've kept going and they've kept making, they've probably made like 
They're probably into double figures now. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Considering the era and the number of their contemporaries who burned out and blew up. Absolutely, yeah. No, they've been, they're pretty much the only, from that sort of, that 90s grunge, you know, yeah. era, they're pretty much the only band that have, that just have kept going and never stopped. Yeah. Every other band's either broken up or people have died or... Yeah, it's um, nice to know that it's possible. Come, you know, and there's bands that have sort of stopped and then come back and or reformed in different... You know, I'm thinking of like bands like Smashing Pumpkins or whatever. But um, yeah, Pearl Jam just kept going and going. And in a way, I kind of feel like sometimes they're not considered that cool anymore. But I definitely remember, at, you know, seeing them just being really blown away at just the raw kind of chemistry that mm. they had. I mean, regardless of whether you like the music or not, or, I mean, there are th- elements of their music, I guess, that you can criticise. They're sort of, you know, penchant for, uh, uh, you know, f- funk kind of guitars and stuff like that, which isn't, it was never terribly cool. But <laughs> they had uh, they had such a great chemistry mm. as like five people on stage. And that was like, you know, really unbeatable. Mm. Um, I do a thing where uh, with my guest where we talk about, uh, well, the idea is I asked my guest for their, to reveal their top 25 most played songs on iTunes. Because I don't know if you use iTunes, or, but there's this playlist function that you can access. And um, it shows you the songs that you've listened to the most. Oh, my God. Um, I didn't know that. On your, yeah, yeah. I'm scared of what that would reveal. Well, yeah, that's... I mean, and often it is scary. Mm. I mean, for me personally, I, I actually go... <laughs> I actually... When I access mine, I actually del- have to delete a lot of stuff from there or reset them to zero because... A lot of my stuff, a lot of my own songs end up on there because, like, when I'm demoing songs, right? <laughs> I'm sure that's why it is. I'm listening to them constantly. <laughs> to you know, sometimes I like will like be working on lyrics, and so I'll just listen to the song over and over. And anyway, these these songs of my own get you know. Have I'm sure of, there's reasons. It's okay. There no, there are very specific reasons. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, all sorts of stuff comes up because um, sometimes you know your most played list. Ref- other people's tastes as well like I got two young daughters and sometimes you know like a kids the, the wiggles floating yeah. to the top 10 yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah or like so, you know the troll soundtrack or Moana soundtrack or whatever the latest Disney film is but yeah all sorts of kind of stuff ends up but yeah do, do you use iTunes as a, well, yeah I do even of... though I loathe it um, and it does have that habit of wiping all of your shit you know on oh. days ending with Y or anytime you update anything anywhere it's yeah. software written by lawyers, so I'm not a huge fan of it. So it's my top 25. I didn't even know you could do that, actually. But A lot of people don't realise it, but yeah. My brother, Brett, um, he's kind of quite anti-Apple altogether. He just won't. Mm. He just decided he won't engage with that company whatsoever. Maybe well, for some bit, of the same reasons that you were talking It's a little bit gross, but maybe... Am I allowed to ask you a question? Is yes, right? okay. please do. So where is the streaming network or the music aggregation network that is run and controlled by artists where... I want to know that if I yeah. give a dollar to iTunes or a dollar sixty-seven or whatever the hell yeah. it is, that more than one cent of it goes to the people who yeah. actually did the work and wrote the music. Yeah. And so is it just a legal thing or where's the network that I can hook into where I know the artist gets the money? Yeah, that is a good question. I don't know the answer to it. You, if anyone, you should know that. Okay. Oh, so this is like title, right? So this is this is like Jay-Z's. Yeah, so Jay, I mean, I don't know much about title. I only know what I've just little bits of information that I've heard about title. Interestingly enough, I have never really... I think the reason why I haven't had much to do with it is because I'm signed to a major label. and That might be the answer to my question. Though, yeah. Right? Like they're already kind of cemented a lot of people That's into right. an existing they've, order. Yeah. They've made, and they've, you know, made a, a, a deal with Spotify, which was, you know, a lot of people would know about that yeah. streaming so service. So if I play it. one of your songs on Spotify, how much money? Zero point zero zero five. Almost nothing. Yeah. And that's really wrong because it just means the rest of the money is going to somebody who didn't write the music. Yeah, it's. I guess I'm kind of torn about it because, absolutely, from an artist's point of view, um, I see that you know it's a it's a total ripoff, and the most popular song of mine as as, a, as Bob Evans is a song called Don't You Think It's Time. And I checked out on Spotify that that's been streamed over 2 million times. And you would hope that if you had a song that had been streamed that many times, that it would register some little blip 
in your royalty statements that you yeah, know yeah. that there would be some kind of even if just a small yes some <laughs> you'd hope you'd lip, notice but nothing yeah see that's nothing that is bullshit um, that's got no obvious that has to somehow be fixed and i also don't mind paying a fee for curation right i don't mind paying a bit of money for whoever wrote the software and you know the industry people and yeah. all the that whole ecosystem i don't mind paying for it but i don't think they should be earning the biggest piece of the pie chart i think yeah. the artists should so maybe i don't know i think these people are just defending a 20th century monopoly that has no right to exist anymore uh, there are some people that have you know high profile artists that won't put their stuff on spotify and i think taylor swift was one who pretty famously like kind of pulled all the stuff um i think that maybe for artists in that at that level probably have a, the power to be able to kind of make those yeah. kind of decisions um and then obviously there are all those artists that aren't sort of tied into major label contracts that can yeah pretty much do whatever the fuck they want mm. um but Just, i was going to say like the reason why i'm torn about stuff like um spotify is because from a consumer's point of view it does seem like like a pretty even though the model is deeply flawed it does seem like a pretty good idea or, or a, a pretty good kind of method for music consumption going into the future. You know, the idea that you can, for a, for a, a monthly fee, um, you can have the history of music yeah. at your fingertips. And it's anytime amazing. you think of it, yeah, I mean, that, and that as a concept blows my mind because, you know, it doesn't seem like all that long ago before any of this technology existed where I can remember just you know fantasizing about that kind of yeah. existence you know where you could just go oh what's that song uh you know you know that song from, i think it was like from the 70s i went da, da, da. Right, and there you it know is. and to be able to be able to just within a few short seconds yeah we're the first, first generation who's been able to access anything like that the only thing for me that would make it perfect would be that i knew that the artist was getting paid yeah. for the for the actual stuff that they made. And it feels as though the intermediaries are still the ones that are making all the revenue. I suppose the artists are kind of like at the bottom of the food chain when it comes to yeah. the allocation of, of those of the, that kind of money. But the technology would allow the artists to be at the top of the food chain, mm. but you're not. And so something else is obviously in the way that's legals or whatever it is. That's well, your industry, not anybody... mine. I'm just a bystander here. <laughs> I would go with whatever network says the biggest chunk of the pie chart goes yeah. to whoever's recording the music. Like that should. I be... suppose you know, and I, I guess for such a long time, I, I think I've just been conditioned into the idea that making money from like recording music is just so difficult because like my survival in the music industry has been based mostly on live, like touring. Yeah. Live and. Um, um, and every now and then, you know, maybe getting a song synced for like, you know, a commercial or a movie or something like that. Um, but yeah, even like in the early days of Jebediah, when we were selling significant amounts of records, you know, and, and there were, people would have thought that we would have been rolling in it. And so we were paying ourselves the wage equivalent of the doll. Yeah. Um, and people would have honestly believed, I mean, if you've got a double platinum record, like people honestly believe like, so. oh, you must be like. But somebody is. Yeah, yeah. Money's totally. going somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess, yeah. I, I think the only reason that I'm kind of hung up on this point is that the distribution bottlenecks that existed in the 20th century actually don't exist anymore. But they're being defended through right. legal agreements and record labels trying to protect their incumbency yeah. and stuff. But in a, in a technology sense, the distribution bottlenecks no longer exist. Yeah. If I can find you and I'm interested in you, I should be able to just give you money. Yeah, yeah. And no, I'm true. happy to pay a little tax to the intermediary or mm. whoever curated it or however I found out that you existed. And certainly if I go and see you live, for mm. sure. But it's like there's this lag. There's this um, lag that seems to exist whereby the industry itself or the creative, the performers are being held back yeah. by a monopoly that actually has no right to exist anymore. Yeah, no, you're right. I definitely see your point. It sounds, right. sounds simple when you say it fast. Like that. <laughs> You know, one of the kind of, I, I guess, a little bit sad kind of things that has happened as a result of all of this too, in my, for my mind, is, you know, that we've lost record stores. Uh, so many record stores have gone out of business. I think independent record stores in Perth, oh God, I mean, I think there's only a, two or three two left. Or three, right? Yeah. Um, 
and that's happening in, in every city and mm. um, I'm sure that the day will come very very soon where there will you know there won't be any dedicated record stores left you might still be able to buy physical CDs in places like Coles I mean you know, Target or whatever I do you think vinyl's going to outlive the CD yes yeah I do um, well it's the only physical uh, form of music that's Increase like that's actually going up. It's on its like, way back. Yeah, it's still at a niche, though, isn't it? It's not still at a niche. Yeah, and I think CDs will CDs will hang around for a while. They'll they'll die out slowly, but you yeah. know they are they are dying out. Well, I read somewhere that every form of technology that has ever existed in the history of the species mm. is still in use somewhere. Yes, yeah, like every, you know cassette tapes. You know, right? I mean, there'd oh, be bless. Oh, there'd be places <laughs> where. Yeah, cassette tapes. And even those are kind of starting to come back. But I, I can't see that really getting further than the kind of hipster. Yeah, I was just going to say. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be a hard one. That's going to be like, because vinyl at least, I mean, vinyl has kind of got that because it, 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 it's kind of almost like the original kind of form. And, mm. and, you know, as long as dance music exists and DJs exist, then mm. uh, the vinyl, there'll always be that sort of market and stuff. Cassette tapes, oh, that's going to be a hard one to push yeah, through them yeah. to the mainstream. I Unless you're just playing them ironically. I don't, I don't <laughs> yeah. see a, a well, like, future uh, for it. I don't know if you heard about uh, when Bonnevere, this is quite a, fa- quite a famous thing that happened last year. Um, when Bonnevere uh, released his new record, he uh, held like a, well, he wasn't there, but in, a, in Melbourne, of course, it was Melbourne in Australia, um, he, there was like a, a listening party for his new record and it was held in an alleyway and they, it was on cassette tape they put the cassette tape in like a little little ghetto blaster and you know a bunch of people sort of sat on the floor of this alleyway fucking Melbourne to- <laughs> <laughs> stop <Listen>. it <laughs> they got to listen to the first uh, yeah they were the first listeners of the new one of her records try not to stereotype we- yourselves too hard Melbourne <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I mean it's hard with situations like that not to be uh <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, a little bit skeptical, yeah. but um. But anyway, let's let's let's, uh, let's look at some songs on your list. All right. Uh, have you got like are they are they numbered or? No, not at all. Um, it's just completely. Well, how shall I? Well, sketchy. Rather than throw out numbers, or well, have you got the list on your phone? Or? No, no. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna make it up. Okay. Well, what? Okay. How about this? I'll do. I'll throw a number out, and you just kind of think what number. Right. Song that it might be. <laughs> How many am I allowed? Uh, I normally we normally go through three. Oh, three! Oh yeah. shit! Okay, pressure's on. We can go through more if you like. Yeah, no, I thought it was going to be ten. All right. Well, we've... well, I'll just go with the essentials. So, um, Talking Heads. Okay. Allowed once in a lifetime by Talking Heads. Okay. You have to play that now, even if it once means in a lifetime might, by Talking Heads. Even if it means you might get sued. <laughs> about this kind of thing just go for it just go for it if the um, lawyer's knock on your door then yeah uh, so Talking Heads amazing way to go out um, I, I don't I actually don't own a Talking Heads record I don't know that much about them uh, wonderful and enduring and um, David Byrne's kind of really interesting thinker as well as an interesting musician they started out in the New York punk scene in the 1970s and yeah. just emerged and just kept going 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 doing really interesting stuff so can you remember how you 
first discovered them? No, I heard that song in the back of my folks' combi sometime in the 1980s, and it just lodged somewhere deep down. Wow. And it's ageless. It's a song that could still be written today, and it would sound fresh. Was was it something that you... Was it on the radio? Yeah, I think it was. No, I think it was on the radio. Yeah, right. I can remember exactly when that was. I don't know why it struck such a nerve, but it did. In the back of the the parents' combi van. Yes. Oh, God. Well, look, stereotypes have to start. (laughs) It's definitely, it definitely sets a scene, doesn't it? Mm. The parents' combi van traveling around the world. It's it's, it's a good, it's a good scene. Um, All right. What else have you got? Uh, Okay. So I've got a record by Verve from oh. the mid-1990s called A Storm in Heaven. Yeah, yeah. Which is beautiful. Right, So yeah. I would take basically anything off of that. listening to them right yeah but this is sort of archetypal um shoegazy mm. stuff before it got boring yeah it's just a really beautiful record yeah troubled you know troubled people making the music but any anything off that album can handle all right so we can now we can get a little bit closer to home so um have you come across um paper kites mm. melbourne band yeah yeah mm. cool how did you discover them I actually don't know. Maybe Shazam or something. Okay. Uh, I'm honestly not sure. It's how I discover about half of the music on yeah, my phone. Yeah, I'm going to sound like a Luddite here, but Shazam, is that the app where you hold you hold it up to a radio? Yeah, it's some kind of dark sorcery. If I had to delete every app on my phone except for that, that's the one that I would keep. Yeah. As so long as it's it reasonably clear air, it'll just basically grab whatever is playing in the background and it'll tell you what it is. That's insane. It is insane. Do you know how it works? No idea. I don't even want to know how it works. <laughs> Yeah, um, that's, that's how I found Paper Kites, and they they are absolutely beautiful. I'm going to look up there. So yeah, they I think they they put out a record last year called uh, it was something to do with the, between midnight and six. yeah because they recorded everything yeah, yeah. at these unholy hours. So the um, song that I was going to pick is called Malleable Beings, and it was from the Malleable record that Beings, it was yeah. from before it was the album before that. So they had an EP, and then they had this incredibly beautiful album which I cannot immediately remember the name of, but I will find it for you. And Malleable Beings comes off of that.
you seen them play? No, I haven't. Um, they were in Perth not that long ago and I missed them and it's basically just that I'm a bad person. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they were touring. I haven't seen them either, but yeah, I know that record from hearing it a bit on the radio. It's just gorgeous from beginning to end. Yeah. Uh, States is the name of the record. Okay. States, okay. So that must have been the one before the... That's right. Oh, yeah. An EP and then States and then that most recent one. Yeah. What's that most recent one called? Midnight to... Is it, I know it's got something to do with... Something like that. Between Midnight This is probably really boring for your listeners that I'm thumbing through my phone. No, no. It's just no. T- too bad. Turn us off if you no, want. No, they love it. I love it. Um, thank you so much, Scott, for no, meeting up with me on this very warm... Uh, it's a long weekend here in Perth, too. La- Labor Day? Whatever day. What, what's, what's the origin of that? Nobody knows. No I have one, no idea. No one cares. Um, I, there is something I wanted to do, though, actually, okay. before we finish. Um, I was on Twitter last night, and I came across the poetry of pa- uh, Clive Palmer. Oh, shit. Um... <laughs> What what is going on with him? Do you think? Um, I now, look, I, I yeah, I, and then I realised looking at his Twitter account that this has been going on for a while. It and, has. And I've, I've seen no good theories. I've started following him just so that I don't miss out on any more. Um, so you're doing him a kindness to call it poetry. Well, look, you know, I I think I have a broad, you know definition of art that's just that's just as well <laughs> i mean this is the thing about art this is the great thing about art scott true that we have right. to hold on to so is there one art one tweet freedom one tweet in particular that stands um, out for you well look you know i've got to say that there is like some of them you know how sometimes some artists can confound you because like just when you think that they're just complete shit then you start to go oh fuck oh no maybe there's maybe i'm missing maybe there's some hidden genius in there that i wasn't getting first time around and i feel like clive palmer is just on the edge of that he's really on the edge he's on the edge of something (laughs) so (laughs) what's your Um, favorite okay so i thought you know we could um just you know read some this i think this one's quite good he goes like and he just seems to have i I mean no spoilers (laughs) Let's do I'm just, this. I'm just, I'm always interested in, pe- you know, people's influences and stuff, and I feel like there's almost a, it's almost like a um, haikuish, uh, a haikus almost thing going really? on. Really? But none of them are haikus; they're actual haikus. But no. anyway, uh, this is one. He doesn't have it. There are no titles for these. Just, he just puts them out there. Dim sims, snails, lightning rods, black cat, moon dogs, false gods, fear, here, flying. Boom. I think he's just given his Twitter account over to a random word generator. <laughs> no, I, 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 I don't think so. No, you're so. still there. You're yeah, still... There's, still, there's some genuine rhyming going on. Um, um, you know, okay, this is good. Okay, this one's good. This one is genuinely confounding. It's very short. Is it got the Lamingtons in it? Is it that one? No. Okay. But we, I, you can read the Lamingtons one if you no, want. No, I have no interest in doing it. <laughs> this one. Who wants a chip? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's only the first line. No, from a lift off in. like that. Okay. Go on. Go, go. <laughs> Who wants a chip? I love chip soup. Soggy. Doggy. Chip soup is not a thing. What? I what is that? Uh, see, he's got you, hasn't he? So you think, what is chip soup? What, what is, is it, is it in fact actual chips and soup or is he, is it, these all metaphors, you know, these all metaphors. They're not metaphors. <laughs> They're not. But I, and that one is particularly, it could, it, I like how after it says, who wants a chip? I love chip soup. Then there's a space and I can only assume that that space is intentional and that he hasn't just sausage fingered his way down and then soggy doggy. Yeah. So I guess. Wally. Soggy Doggy is the name of given to the chip that's been dunked in the soup. Maybe. It must be that. Yeah. And while he is coming up with these poetic gems, he's still refusing to pay his workforce that he completely shafted at his refinery in Queensland. So I don't know whether he's tweeting other stuff than this or whether this is all that's left. Uh, but... Maybe this is part of his long-term plan of pleading insanity when one day when... Yeah, when the lawyers finally catch up with him. (laughs) And he's just leaving a trail of evidence that That he's lost the plot and that, yeah, he wasn't actually... All things are possible. Hashtag (laughs) Ozpol. Does this party still exist? 
What, what, no, no, what it completely thing? disintegrated, which yeah. people were predicting would happen straight after it happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Thank you so much for giving me your time, Scott. I really, really appreciate it's it. It's been a fun way to spend a Sunday Cheers. afternoon. <laughs>